Hmm. So what should we talk about? So, are you feeling confident, Max? Do you want to talk about confidence? Well, I had an inkling. (laughs) An inkling. An inkling or like you thought of topics in advance, like the last time that we didn't think of topics in advance. (laughs) No! That's, wow, I don't know Busted. if that, well, I don't know what that, no, I didn't, I didn't, but I, I was thinking, I wonder what that says about, was that, were we recording over the summer? I think so, I think so. Yeah, I think that was summer brain where, even though I, <laughs> I stay busy all summer, I am not the type to not be doing something, um, my brain is way more jam-packed during the school year. Hell no, I didn't prep anything. <laughs> that just sounds ludicrous right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not the singer, the word. Um, mm. <laughs> singer. I think you're thinking of Turkey Hollow. Quote marks. O-M-G. He served no narrative purpose whatsoever. Mm. Oh. Jim Henson's rolling over in his grave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go shoot yeah. some turkeys. Somebody is, uh, somebody's pulling the strings on one side and just that one side and they keep pulling so he's rolling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Muppet joke. Mm, not a very good one. No, that's kind of morbid. I like Jim. We like Jim Henson. I'm going to edit all of this out. Cut it all out. Mm. All right, let's start over. Already so, <laughs> what do you want to talk about? I'm feeling less confident now. You are listening to Priority, a podcast about choices, limitations, and getting stuff done. Priority is hosted by Katie Leibman and her brother, Max Leibman. That's me. Today's episode is entitled Gregory House's Boss. For complete show notes, including links to anything we discuss on the podcast today, visit us online at priority.fm slash 49. So, in a previous recording, long ago and far away, uh, we were talking about Mondays and how uh, Mondays are the transition into the work week for most people, so often it can feel like ripping off of a Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was thinking about the ways that we do psych ourselves up for whatever may be coming our way. Mm. Um, so I was thinking about confidence. Um, mm-hmm. And although I often like to pose things as a question, I almost don't want to ask you about your confidence because I feel like I'm going to get um, attitude. <laughs> but maybe maybe sometimes you don't feel confident and I'm not giving you credit. Yeah, maybe maybe it's a defense mechanism because I'm not <gasps> confident. Oh, but see, you're explaining it before you've even been vulnerable. So I think I'm actually what I'm doing is I'm actually doing it. Oh, okay. So this is the this is <laughs> this as much is reflection. Attitude. Okay. Yeah. This is exactly what you were expecting. <laughs> so your prediction was made with a high degree of confidence. Oh, did you just spin this back on me? I don't even know what's going on. I think Billy would be mad, first of all, because I just expressed the concept of degree of confidence incorrectly. Um, uh, point B. <laughs> um, no, I think I think that, that could be fun. Mm-hmm. You can talk about confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I've, I, uh, so what was the question? Well, I didn't want to ask it. Oh, okay, um, so we didn't actually get up to the question. No. Maybe, maybe I'll ask a dorky question first. Oh, sure, ask um, a dorky question. So I'll match it with a super dorky answer. I'm I'm sure you will. Um, or even if you don't know the answer, you're going to take it somewhere else, and that's fine too. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, my own personal version of male answer syndrome. 
<laughs> I mean, you are the resident male on this podcast, so yep. I guess you're just fulfilling your societal duty. Mm-hmm. Um, no makeup Mondays. I'm going to go bake a cake while you do that. Um, mm. <laughs> maybe string some pearls? Hmm. Not even. Oh, God. No, cut all this out. Not even. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What has happened to the show? Bleep it out. Just bleep it. That'll make me happy, okay? Uh, you got it. Very good. Um, what in the hell was I saying? Dorky question. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What is one of the big five personality traits related to confidence? Um, what do what 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 the psychos say about confidence? Uh... You know, I actually need to look because <laughs> I'm out of, I know I decided the big five a couple weeks ago, but I am, I am out of shape on my, um, psychology. I know there is openness to experience uh-huh. and I know there is, um, dairy, dairy, grains, <laughs> Yeah, um, and they they really they say you shouldn't have grains as much. Like mm. that used to be a bigger deal, but there, um, there's extroversion, um, which is is um, not quite the same as the extroversion that we were talking about relative to introversion a few weeks ago. Okay, I got them here. Um, openness to experience, uh, conscious conscientiousness extroversion agreeableness and neuroticism so really all of them except for agreeableness i think could be Mm -hmm. um characterized as having something to do with with confidence um i don't know a very confident person i think we would expect to be open to experiences um you know more outgoing more extroverted um have less neuroticism maybe i think at least we would our popular characterization of confidence is less neuroticism Mm mm-hmm uh yeah so um mm-hmm. <laughs> no it's not but <laughs> it's it's kind of in there mm-hmm. in the mix in the soup psycho soup mm-hmm. so yeah so i guess what i'm thinking about is and maybe i should um make some distinctions with the term too uh, <laughs> i feel like i feel like a lot of my work as a teacher who focuses on writing is often just asking people to clarify their terms. <laughs> mm. That's basically my day is what do you mean by this? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, um, you in the philosophy department could have some fun. Yeah, no kidding. Except I actually want the answer. <laughs> <laughs> the philosophy department will mark you highly if you ask a better question. In right, right. Get some Socratic circle up in here. In my <laughs> classrooms, we do Katie circles. I don't want to know what the Urban Dictionary says the definition of Socratic circle is. That is actually a very funny question. I don't know. I might Google it later. Mm. I don't know that I want my response on record. <laughs> she did what? <laughs> With a melon? <laughs> For how many jelly beans? Mm. Uh, zero. Zero jelly. Oh, wait. Nope. That's episode four. Ugh. So, so <laughs> was that the dorky question? Yeah, it's just what okay. what concepts does this connect to? Mm. What's the the researchy background from psych? Mm-hmm. Since you have more experience than me, mm-hmm. um, the the one thing that comes to mind on that um, on on that score, uh, and I will try to dig up one or more studies on this. Um, and actually, I think this might be referenced in um, I mentioned a couple weeks ago. Um, Nicholas, 
Taleb's uh, Fooled by Randomness mm-hmm. in the follow-up book, The Black Swan. I think he talks about this a little bit as well. Um, but there are, there are a lot of studies of... Um, there are certain classes of decision-making um, under uncertainty uh, where the more confident somebody is in their replies, very often um, the worse their, their, you know, success rate is. Mm. Um, so I think they're, you know, um, what I know from the research is that confidence does not necessarily correlate with ability. Mm. Um, it's, there's, there's a certain level of confidence that I think does come from ability. You know, when you've done something a bunch of times and you're, you're very sure you know how to do it because you have done it and you do do it and it keeps coming up again and you keep doing fine. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a very real kind of confidence. But there's another kind of confidence that might just be personality. Um, it might just be that you've had such a lucky streak. You have no reason to, to believe anything, but, you know, you're really good. Um, Taleb talks about this a lot in Fooled by Randomness. Like, you know, if if a thousand people all flip a coin ten times, somebody in that group is going to get heads ten times in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not that they're great coin flippers or that they have the best coin. It's just going to happen sooner or later if enough people do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that very often things like differences in people's ability to trade in the stock market um, are, are essentially similarly random when you really look at what they're doing and how much they knew. Uh, but somebody out of the mass of all the millions is going to look like a genius, you know, just by chance. Mm-hmm. And that's a person who's going to have a very high degree of confidence in what they bet on next, but their chances aren't any better than chance. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually mm-hmm. their luck will will probably run out. As you're thinking about that, I keep picturing Homer Simpson. Flipping a coin? No, doing all those things that <laughs> no matter what he does. Homer Simpson is in a montage illustrating what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. All the different ways that he falls into an opportunity mm. and suddenly thinks he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's a, a protege in everything that he tries. Mm. I see. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> uh, as always happens when you say something on this podcast, that reminds me of two things. Um, oh, God. First of all, <laughs> the funny one, also also from Taleb's book, um, I think this one was in the second book, The Black Swan. He talks about beginner's luck, um, the concept of beginner's luck. And uh, gamblers will often say that there's such a thing as beginner's luck, that when you first pick up a game, when you first try, you are more likely to win than not. Um, and actually this is empirically true. Mm. Uh, among gamblers, there is such a thing as beginner's luck. Do you know why? Because they're inexperienced. So they're not becoming biased by things that will later bias them. No, that's, that's a good guess though. Um, and certainly there are probably pursuits where, um, having a little naivety is good because you, you will see things that the experienced people won't see, or you'll try things that are, are quote unquote impossible. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a, there's a great episode of, uh, I'll link to link to this in show notes. Uh, a podcast called Debug. It's about programming, so if you're not really into that, don't listen to the whole thing. But listen to the first ten minutes because it's great. Um, and and the guy that they're interviewing on that episode is Don Melton, um, formerly of Apple and various other places. And he talks about how he learned to program, and and you know essentially he did it, and he did what is not supposed to be possible to do. Like he went from nothing to like you know being an assembly programmer in in a weekend hmm. um, when he was like hold up sick. And and he expresses it so well, you know, saying like I just I did I didn't know that you couldn't do that. Um, yeah. So so that could be a thing, but no, no. The reason why there is beginner's luck among gamblers, why gamblers tend to have beginner's luck, is because if you survey a population of gamblers, you are surveying the people who, by definition, kept gambling. 
So the beginners, the people who try it the first time, don't have a higher chance of winning than anybody else. But the ones who didn't win stopped playing. Oh, yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. So (laughs) when you talk to gamblers, overwhelmingly, yes, they did have beginner's luck. Mm. Uh, Mm. That's tricky. Anyhow, um, very tricky. But that's that's one of the first things. The other thing I thought of, though, was um, something that popped into my head right as we were getting on, right when you first asked me about confidence, was a topic idea I had a while back that um, we still might polish and, and use at some point. But um, have you seen the movie Yes Man? With, uh, Jim uh, Carrey. Jim Carrey, yeah. Uh, at least parts of it. I have not. Oh, well. <laughs> but I'm, I'm familiar with the concept, which mm-hmm. is, you know, this guy who decides for a year he's just going to say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, based on a supposedly true account, True-ish account from a book, um, mm-hmm. I guess, which I also haven't read. Um, I've I've read several people questioning whether the book is remotely accurate, um, which would also cast aspersions on the truishness of the movie. But in any case, it's an interesting idea, and and you know the, the premise of the the movie is exactly what I just said. Like he decides he's just going to say yes to everything, mm-hmm. and it leads him into all these you know like you said with Homer Simpson, he falls ass backwards into all kinds of crazy adventures and does all these things and has all these little careers and you know, um, presumably great successes and big tremendous experiences and you know just from saying yes to everything everybody asks of him mm-hmm. um which by the way i don't recommend as a way to live your entire life <laughs> but it makes for an interesting uh not quite allegory but um yeah something to chew on what if yeah yeah and it's it's something rounding it back around that takes a lot of confidence it takes a lot of confidence to say yes mm-hmm but I like that, uh, I'm thinking of the word stance, you know, that idea that what could you accomplish if you didn't know what the limits were, that sort of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. It sounds way more obnoxious when I said it there. Um, but you said it <laughs> earlier about... Poster of a boat. What's that? Poster of a boat. You betcha. That needs to be up in my former manager's office. Mm-hmm. Um, who had both a, a, the, the picture of the boat and a Dilbert cartoon. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if I've said this before on the program, but you cannot have both. You, you don't get to live in both worlds. It's like it's like running a dehumidifier right next to a humidifier. Uh, can't have both. Um, yeah, no, I liked what you said um, with the programming story about I didn't know you couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, that is just so charming. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, think, I think the distinction is, I mean... Confidence very often, confidence will lead you to do things that you are not equipped to do, but you think you are. So I think that makes you ill-prepared for when it doesn't go right. Uh, That will leave you with a story that you're not as good at things as you thought you were or that somebody has wronged you because it doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas a little bit of, um, you know, either chance in his case or even carefully cultivated naivety. Like, I'm, I'm just going to try this. I'm just going to see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll slightly misuse, go back to the big five and slightly misuse one of those terms. Having an openness to experience, mm-hmm. um, something that I'm good at in some domains, really, really bad at in some others. Um, definitely a, a weakness in my introverted nature. Um, but being open to new experiences and opening to trying things, you know, it takes a certain amount of confidence, but I think it's different from confidence. I think it's more useful than confidence to just be willing to try mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and to see. 
and I, uh, I think it, this is going to sound very convoluted. It prevents <laughs> the opposite of confidence in which you put up your own barriers. Mm. Um, as they say, you are your own worst enemy. Um, I was thinking about this before, as you were talking, um, sort of the, the opposite can be true where you in your own thinking can shut down what's possible. So I was thinking of, for instance, and this is probably why this topic jumped out at me as we were talking last time, um, is that I, you know, I had a conversation with a student, a very long conversation, um, trying to work through an issue she was having in her writing. Mm-hmm. But at every step of the way, I had to point out to her that she was shutting herself down. I would mm-hmm. ask a question about, for instance, you know, I mentioned before, what do you mean here? What's your distinction? Um, what does this mean compared to this? Um, tell mm-hmm. me more about it. I would ask her a question like that and say, okay, in this sentence, you use this word and it's very interesting. Tell me more about what you mean. She would start to answer the question and then somehow shut herself down. She'd say something like, you know, she's starting to be like, oh, well, I was thinking of this thing, but maybe I shouldn't be talking about this at all. Does this fit here? I don't know that it fits. Maybe this, maybe, you know, I'm just not cut out for this. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, just this, this steamroller of thinking that just absolutely wiped her out. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that's an issue of confidence. So, you know, earlier talking about people who, do not know what they're doing. They don't mm-hmm. know that they don't know what they're doing. And they're awful at it. They don't know that they're not good. <laughs> you know, things right, like that. Right. And I see, you know, I see that just as often as I see this sort of scenario where the student is actually doing some some great and interesting and valuable work, but for whatever reason, they've got this line of thinking drilled into them that totally shuts down any progress. Mm-hmm. They can't yeah. see what they're doing well. Right. Yeah. Because in this case, they're a quote-unquote bad writer. Well, and I, I think back to the idea of openness to experience. Like, um, they're not not only not going to get around to being a good writer, but they're not even going to write as well as they can write now if they do that. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're not open to try, if you're not open to just put it there, whether it fits there or not, just put it there and see. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not willing to do that without second-guessing yourself, you know, not only will you not practice enough, you know, you won't keep doing this because it'll be such a pain and, and such a chore and so so scary. You'll never get around to being a good writer, but you won't even be as good of a writer as you already are. Right. <laughs> right. She's not, like I said, she's not seeing it right now. Right. Um, and, and I mean, yeah. you know, and to a certain extent, like I, I, I do think there's something to the idea that you need to understand the grammatical rule before you go break it. Um but on the other hand, like, you know, once, once you, if, is, if you even are thinking at the level of should this go here or not, then you're fine to put it there if you want to, mm-hmm. you know, as long as you're conscious of the fact that that's a thing, <laughs> you know, that the structure <laughs> of your paper or your article or your whatever is a thing, you know, you know, that structure is there and you're seeing it as such. That's the, that's the battle right there. Mm-hmm. Like the trick isn't making sure you have it all in the right place. The trick is just knowing that there is such a thing as place, you know, knowing that there is a skeleton mm-hmm. under there, knowing that there is, that, that the order matters, um, knowing that there is a flow to your argument, knowing those things is, is the harder part, I think. Mm. Cause you, I mean, you know, you can tell people it's there. <laughs> you can underline right. and draw arrows and circles and things. Um, you can diagram sentences until you're blue in the face, but <laughs> You know, if somebody's not going to ask of their own spewing onto the page what the structure is, there's nothing you can do to make them ask that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, she's already asking the question, but I, I like your your phrase of shutting herself down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if if you're if asking the question is enough to shut you down, then you're in trouble. Right. Right. Yeah. Ask, ask the question and see where it takes you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, and I think you're absolutely right. You had some great language in there about this is about trying. You just have to do something, play with it. Um, mm-hmm. It's a form of practice. You said that word too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all absolutely right. That's what I have to um, – I have to get people to think of this stuff that way. Um, right. I had to tell this gal we were working from – we had a printout copy that we were working with for some things, but she was also making revisions and trying things out as we were going in a Google Doc off of her laptop. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were some points where she would say something out loud, and I just sort of – I had to not yell at her, of course, but my – you know, my I raised my <laughs> What's voice wrong a little. with you? No, no, no. Other way, I would say, type that. Type that. What are you doing? Type that. <laughs> You're doing it right now. You are writing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just do the writing part. <laughs> yeah. Quit talking to me and write it down before you well, forget. And, and, and you know, the, I, I talked about the guy, the lucky idiot who just, who has succeeded just through chance and thinks he's a genius and everyone mm-hmm. else does too. Um, but there's, there's also some truth to that. Like she's not going to have any happy accidents writing if she's not willing to at least just throw it out on the page and see what happens. Right. Um, you are, you are preventing yourself from stumbling into a mistake if you're tying yourself in that kind of knot. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are also avoiding creating, you know, in, in the literal sense, discovering. Mm-hmm. Um, so much of creativity and innovation is accidental. Right. right. You know, um, <laughs> Pasteur did not set out to discover penicillin. Mm-hmm. Was, it, was it Pasteur and penicillin? Do I have that right? Ooh, tell even, me, in the, even in the right century. Uh, pasteurization. Uh oh, that's in Spanish. Why is all of this in Spanish? <laughs> all right, we'll uh, we'll sort it out for show notes. Um. <laughs> oh no, seriously, why is Google in Spanish? What the? Mm-hmm, what did I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know, but but I think <laughs> anyway. I think the point the point is <laughs> the point stands. Um. <laughs> The penicillin story, whoever discovered it, it was an accident. <laughs> Mr. Penicillin, duh. Oh, John Penn. Uh, yeah, anyhow. Um, yeah. But if you're not if you're not willing to put stuff down on the page and just see, you know. Um Yeah. Uh so... sorry, I'm just really okay. confused about why. <laughs> I opened a new Google window and now it's back in English. Wow. I was getting Spanish hits and then I was getting French hits, but now mm. it's back to English. I, I Googled the word English and now it's back to English. Mm-hmm. I feel like the universe is messing with me. <laughs> is, is that how you change the language on settings on Google? Is you just, you Google for the name of a language? No, seriously. I typed Pasteur and then... Uh, Alexander <laughs> Fleming. I knew that. Can you focus on the problem at hand, please? Mm. Spanish. In my Spanish. Google. Spanish in, Google. in my Google. <laughs> you got your Spanish in my Google. Uh, new from Reese's. Yeah, unlike Reese's peanut butter cups, though, I don't think that would be a great innovation as far as I was concerned. Well, I mean, it's already here, so. Well, I, that's fine. That's fine for Spain. It's fine for Spain. Um, the Spaniards. <laughs> We're back to improv corner with Max and Katie. <laughs> uh, anywho. No, you're right on. One thing I will mention 
um, from the English studies. Um, yeah, in, in language acquisition in particular. Um, so I know it's true for English language learners in particular, but it might also be true um, English speakers adopting other languages. Um, but the role of trying and failing and getting feedback is absolutely huge and figuring out mm -hmm. how grammar rules work, um, how vocabulary works in context, what situations it doesn't work in. Um, the only way that process happens is negotiation. You try a bunch of stuff, people correct you, or it comes back to you with confusion and you figure it out. Mm -hmm. You go from oh, there. Yeah. It's absolutely negotiation. Yeah, for sure. Uh -huh. um, yeah, and I, I suspect, um, I'm not as up on the literature as you are. I mean, I think, for me at least, I, I feel like that that's a process that even happens just within myself. Um, you know, some of the turns of phrases I use when I write the most often, some of the structures of arguments I use the most often, um, I wasn't taught them. It just <laughs> so happens one time it worked out, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it just sort of landed that way. And then I was like, you know, that's not bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We pick up our own patterns, mm -hmm. things that work well for us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I would say, um, you know, going, going back to my earlier statement, um, I, I think, I think just for my, you know, my theory of how the world works and how to make your life better, um, <laughs> at least version one yeah, here at minute 24 of the podcast, um, is, uh, you know, it's good to have the enough confidence to try things. Uh, maybe not so good to have the confidence that you are great at them all already. <laughs> so don't believe you are, well, don't believe you're perfect, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't believe your own press. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, totally believe that it's worth trying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a frame of mind that I'm always harping on, uh, at my institution, especially with writing, but I think it applies to so many things. Um, I don't find the language of I'm a good writer. I'm a bad writer. I'm, I'm good at writing. I'm bad at writing. I don't find any of that language helpful, um, because it shuts down people so much, it it prevents growth in the best writers and the worst writers. <laughs> um, or I should say the writers at, at all points on the spectrum. Um, but instead, just think of it as I am a person who's growing, right? So whatever that mm -hmm. skill is, um, I am growing as a writer. That will always be true. That will literally always be true. Um, yeah. So that's much more helpful than, well, I'm just not good at it. It's like, well, great. I'm awful at being a WNBA star, but I've also literally never tried to be one. <laughs> you know, so if I'd like right. to be a little bit closer to that, even though it's not going to happen, I could still get closer to it. I just choose not to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, on the, there's, uh, you never want to say never. Um, it's not like anybody at, at, at our respective points in life couldn't turn it all around and, and become that. But <laughs> I mean, that's, that's where that other confidence comes in too. It's also good to know that, you know, certain things probably aren't going to be it for you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, at this point I am not going to be a professional athlete, probably in any sport. Um, and if I am, it's likely to be shuffleboard. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, which doesn't pay a lot. So then we'll say never by choice, not by limitation. <laughs> um, but mostly never by limitation. Um, you know, I wouldn't want to tell, I wouldn't want to tell somebody who is suffering from, 
um, some sort of physical limitation, you know, don't, I wouldn't want to tell somebody you are never going to walk again, no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, A, because medical science keeps moving forward and B, because there are always stories, you know, mm-hmm. there's always the one person who, who somehow managed some sort of medical miracle, mm-hmm. um, through willpower, good genetics, dumb luck, nobody knows why, um, or medical science advancing. Um, on, on the flip side though, I, I do think it's reasonable to say to somebody who is, uh, say a... 72-year-old quadriplegic, they are never going to be in the NBA mm. or the WNBA. Um, it just isn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's a really fanciful and slightly offensive example, but I mean, it's, I think, I think the point is still, the point is still relevant. Like, it is worth trying everything that is of interest to you. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get hung up on, I have to be great at this or, you know, it's not worth doing. And definitely mm-hmm. don't get hung up on, I am a genius at this, um, if there is a large degree of chance in it. See also gambling and stock trading. Uh, or if, <laughs> if, if you know, don't, don't get hung up on, I have to be great at this from the beginning. Because I'm so sure I'm going to be great at this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're getting into an interesting subtopic. And it applies to some of what you just said, but not all of it. But I'm thinking of, of the issue of hope, right? Mm. Can you believe that... Mm-hmm. Can you entertain a possibility? Can you entertain a belief? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a one definition of hope, at least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think one way to to maintain hope, um, you know, not to drag us further into psychology terms I know from way back that I haven't looked at recently, but um, <laughs> he's an expert. We've talked a little bit about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I'd say with hope is, is too, like, I think one way to, to cultivate, if not hope itself, at least the kind of mindset that somebody with hope in a task would have, where you're willing to keep doing it when it doesn't quite go right the first time, um, might also be to get away from the idea of hope. Like, I'm going to write this thing not because I really hope that I manage to turn it into a novel and it becomes a bestseller and I never have to work again because mm. I really need that. Um, you know, that's that's a kind of hope that I think is, is again, like the confidence in your abilities without any, any empirical evidence to back it up. That's the kind of hope that I don't think is really that useful. Um, but hope the idea that, that is, that it is possible that this could work out. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have that naturally and that doesn't stick with you after the first couple rounds of things you try that don't work out, maybe the remaining ones you approach, you, you, you fake the hope by approaching them, not as things that you're hoping will work out with that extrinsic reward at the end, but you approach them as things like, what can I do? What's worth trying? That would be worth doing if, even if it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Like, what's going to be, what would I do? People always say, if you knew you couldn't fail, what would you do? <laughs> I think maybe a better question might be, if you knew you were going to fail, what would still be worth doing? Mm. Um, and if you can find one of those, I, I think much like somebody who has enough hope to keep going when the going gets tough, you are also going to keep going because you will have found something, you know, with, with some intrinsic value to you. Outside mm-hmm. of whether you're succeeding with it or not. Mm-hmm. And, and I think arguably that's, you know, you're more likely to succeed there eventually because you'll keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's sort of the, the journey, not the destination mindset, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you are such a poster of a boat today. Uh, teacher brain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I always, I always use disclaimers and qualifiers when I say this crap to my students too. Um, mm-hmm. Like sometimes I'll announce that I'm on my soapbox. <laughs> mm. 
you know, soapbox slash end rant, whatever. Katie is addressing the soapbox. <laughs> no, I address the students from the soapbox. I was making a sports joke. Oh, well, I apparently don't understand how soapboxes work. You were you were addressing the ball. Only in this case, it was a soap. Anyhow, please continue. Sports. Um, no, I'm with you, though. I, I appreciate that distinction. Um, yeah, I mean, I am definitely an optimistic realist. So everything you're saying, I'm totally on board. Um, yeah. I, I, I think, too, you know, we mentioned the, the role of choice in all this, too. Choosing to acknowledge what may not be possible. Um, what am I trying to get at here? Nope, never mind. I had too many things going on. <laughs> Cut all this out. Because I was thinking about how, um, like, yeah, I think it's, silly to believe that the pie in the sky stuff is as likely as anything else. I think being, so I guess, so I guess what I'm thinking about is, yeah, I'm with you. I think being unrealistic is counterproductive and obnoxious to others. <laughs> mm-hmm. I find it obnoxious. Um, because I don't think reality has to be the cold, hard enemy of any of this. I think it's still, I mean, I would. I have to think that it's possible to be um, a confident, well-prepared, um, hopeful, energetic, trying person mm-hmm. in the face of reality. Like reality has to be a place where all this can happen because that's where all this happens. I don't know. Yeah, for the most part. <laughs> um, hmm. I mean, there's things you can do outside of reality as well, but. Most of those won't really contribute to your actual abilities here. Mm-hmm. Um, um, some will, though. There's there's some freaky freaky visualization studies out there. Oh, okay, um, I, you hadn't given me what you were talking about, so I was like, mm, mm-hmm. give me give me an anchor. Oh well, I was I was initially just agreeing with you that like you know the the sort of outside of reality just fantasy practice doesn't count. But then it occurred to me, and I'll link a couple of these in show notes. There's there's there is actually. <laughs> There are actually studies where people um, who did practice of physical skills only mentally um, improved um, as much as people mm-hmm. who are actually practicing. But so then that is reality then. Mm-hmm. It you know kind of saying? is. It's just a reality. It's just reality that we wouldn't normally think of as such. Like we tend to think mm-hmm. of the mental as being not real the same way that the physical is. But mm-hmm. um, I will. I have one study in mind that I've I've uh, I haven't read the study itself, but I've read enough summaries of it. I have to think it's at least somewhat accurate the way it was summarized to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was practicing a particular tennis tennis like backhand move <laughs> position, whatever you do in tennis mm-hmm. um, that involves a backhand a backhand slap. I don't know. Um, <laughs> backhand That's what you do in the bar room. <laughs> How does tennis work? Not the um, tennis court. Is that the one with the shuttlecocks? You're um, really close. So, but yeah, where there were people who, you know, practiced and people who practiced a little and then visualized and then people who didn't do any of that. Um, and the, the practicers and the visualizers were, were actually like neck and neck. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, that's groovy. Yeah. I'm more so talking about people who will consciously deny what they know to be mm-hmm. reality. Right. And pretend that they don't have to account for it or factor mm-hmm. it in. Yeah. Uh, which again, I think is, is that unhealthy kind of confidence. Mm-hmm. 
you know, where you, where you are, you're assuming facts, not in evidence about your skills or about the difficulty of something, um, or about the factors why somebody else succeeded and you didn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm thinking again, I can, you know, that where I'm coming from is I'm, I'm thinking about these experiences in teaching where, you know, so this one session I had with a student, we got to the end and she said she had a headache but we had done lots of good work. So I, you know, I acknowledged how she was doing. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. But hopefully it's not because of what we got done today. Um, and you know where you're going from here. And she's like, well, yeah, but, and said one of these, you know, shut down things like, well, but this, this just isn't what I am naturally good at. This isn't for me. Um, so I had to tell her, you know, I'm not going to lie to you about this stuff. Yeah, writing can be really hard work. But that mm-hmm. that will never not be true. It's always work, but it doesn't have to be hard, right? Just without the work attached to it, right? Hard work. Because um, mm-hmm. I pointed out to her, I was like, nothing that we had done in that session, I said, nothing that we did went over your head. None of it was too complicated that you couldn't understand it. Um, we walked through decision by decision. Um, so got a big tangle of things done by walking through it part by part and piece by piece. I was like, you made it through all of that. So the evidence at hand suggests that this is not too hard for you. It's just work like Mm. it is for everyone. Right. Um, Yeah. There's a David Allenism that I like. uh, Surprise, surprise. Um, (laughs) Kind of along those lines where, where he asks um, almost as an aside at the end of one of his essays, haven't you noticed that working hard at the right things is not hard work? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's the, um, try to get this quote, right. A related quote to that, that I, uh, Quotes I will find all the, way the actual, down. I will, yeah, we'll find the actual one of these if I, if I'm getting it wrong. Um, I'm relatively certain though that I'm getting this from M. Scott Peck, um, probably from the road less traveled. Um, but uh, he he has something that I like a lot along those lines, too, where he says that, you know, the thing to keep in mind is that life is hard. And the the reason that it's that it is especially hard is because we think it ought to be some other way. Mm. Um, but the ironic thing is that once we admit and acknowledge and face the fact that life is hard. For that same reason, it stops being hard. Mm-hmm. You know, the, a lot of it is our expectation, um, again, bringing rounding it back to confidence um, if you expect that you're going to have to work, you're going to have enough confidence to do the work and you probably will get better at something. Mm-hmm. Um, you might even succeed. Who knows? <laughs> Again, uh, <laughs> that hopefulness is totally right. fine. It can be super productive. Right. If you, if you, on the other hand, have that, that kind of unfounded confidence where you think it should be easy or you think it should be easy for you because you think you should be good at it, mm-hmm. um, then you're not likely to keep going with it. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to find it hard. It's going to be it's going to be work. Um, yeah, I think the difference between the person who can keep working and the difference who can't it's not necessarily grit. Although grit might relate to the ability to frame things this way, it might just be for that thing. The person who keeps working keeps working because they expected it to be work, and they chose it despite that fact. Mm-hmm. Or they just expect everything to be work, and they made their choice. <laughs> um, you know, whereas the person who doesn't didn't necessarily think it was going to be work. Hmm. Yeah, there's something that um, in the competitive speaking circuit, when we're talking to people who are terrified of speech and can't imagine doing it as a, as a fun extracurricular activity, 
Um, Hi. <laughs> people will assume that those with speaking experience don't get nervous before they speak in public. Um, and that's not at all true. And people don't ever want to believe this, but it's just that those people have become familiar with that feeling. They've coached themselves to learn what to do with that feeling, what it mm -hmm. signals and what it does not signal. So right. being, being nervous does not signal that you are not prepared. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, Barbara Streisand, as was pointed out in Quiet, which I did read the first three quarters of for our review episode. Um, <laughs> you called me on that a couple weeks ago because there was stuff that I, I did not have close at hand mentally. But mm -hmm. um, Barbara Streisand, crippling stage fright. Um, mm -hmm. But she still did it. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. It mattered. It mattered. It absolutely mattered. There's... um. <laughs> I don't, I don't, it, it, it's kind of, I guess it does relate to confidence because it's, it's again, it's how you frame the situation. There's a story that Michael Neal tells in um, Effortless Success, I think it's in. Um, I, it may be apocryphal. I have no, not read the original um, interview with the boss that he's drawing from, but he talks about an interview with Springsteen he, he read or heard at some point um, in which somebody asked him about getting nervous before a show or, or stage fright. And Springsteen purportedly said, like, like, oh, no, 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 I, you know, I don't at all. I, I get amped up before a show. Like, you know, I, um, my, my heart will usually start pounding and my hands will shake and I get a little bit sweaty and, you know, my, my, I get butterflies in my stomach and then I know I'm ready. I'm on. Mm. Um, and I, you know, again, maybe apocryphal. He might never have said that. Um, he might just be incredibly not self-aware and very early in his life decided that's what it meant. Or he might've very consciously framed it that way. I don't know. Right. Um, but Michael Neal's point was like, you know, this was somebody describing all of the same things that somebody terrified of getting on stage in front of a thousand people would feel before trying to do that. Um, and here was a person describing it as being his on state as being mm. what he wanted, as knowing that that meant he was ready. Mm -hmm. No, I th that's, that is super cool. I don't care if it's not real. I mean, it's nice. <laughs> it's nice even, and again, I'll use the word charming, even if it's not real, mm -hmm. because it's a moment of deciding what something means. Yeah. And you can train your body and your brain to, um, if not believe in it because that is your natural instinct, but you can choose to believe in stuff, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, one thing I will bring up, Ooh, I can't remember if I've brought this up before on the show. Um, Amy You're allowed Petty. to do repeats. I do it all the time. <laughs> what? Like, like with what? Every reference has been absolutely unique, Max. So there's this guy you probably haven't heard of called David Allen. Unique like a snowflake. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> um, but I'm thinking of the work of Amy Cuddy, and we've talked about her too. I'm sure. Was that uh, was that Gregory House's boss? You betcha. I had never thought of that. They are so opposite people. No, <laughs> totally different. They just share the first name of Doctor, um, <laughs> last name of Cuddy, <laughs> and that's as far as it goes. Mm. Um, yeah, Amy Cuddy has done a lot of work with. Um, the physiological links to things like confidence. So in one study that is one of my favorite things, I think about this all the time in all sorts of my professional contexts. I share it um, as often as I can. So that's why I'm, I'm surprised if I haven't brought it up. Um, mm -hmm. But she's talking about the link between um, 
how much space we consume with our bodies and what chemical signals that sends to our brains. Mm-hmm. So basically, um, in the one sort of landmark study for this stuff, um, she and the folks she was working with found that assuming a power pose, so something like the Wonder Woman, you know, hands on hips, leg spread, um, mm-hmm. or a V, a triumphant pose with your arms out at the side, stuff like that, poses that consume space. Um, assuming a power pose for just two minutes decreases your cortisol by a significant amount and mm. increases your testosterone by a significant amount. So lowers your stress and amps up your <laughs> your hormones. Um, so two minutes, two minutes of assuming a pose that consumes more space wow. literally sends messages to your body that you are more confident than you just were. Mm. Yeah, it's huge. So she recommends it even just as a as a practical strategy for we've been talking about psyching up and amping up for different events and moments and, and <laughs> parts of the week, getting ready for Monday, whatever. Um, so she literally recommends it just as, as a personal strategy, go into a bathroom stall and power pose for two minutes before you have to go into a big meeting or address a big crowd, things like that. Um, yeah. And the effects on others too are absolutely huge. So, um, in one of her studies, it was an interviewing scenario and the only difference, the control in the experiment, um, was the poses that the interviewees were sitting in. So Mm -hmm. had they power or no, let me take that back. It was whether or not the interviewees had power posed before they went into the meeting. So, so the middle step and why I jumped to that was it did affect how they carried themselves, but it communicated confidence and competence to Mm -hmm. the, the interviewers um, and the only difference was that prep. Some people power posed before and some people had not. And all the people who got picked as hires in this experiment were people who had power posed, mm. although the interviewers did not know it. So, um, in the immortal words of Jacqueline Voorhees, power pose. <laughs> Would you like a water? Thump. <laughs> Yes. Uh, no, I like it. I like it. Mm-hmm. That's a good practical tip. Yeah. You're not just a poster of a boat. I am a poser of a on a boat consuming space on a sea of hormones. Okay, we're definitely done here. You have been listening to Priority. Once again, for complete show notes, or if you'd like to send us feedback via email or subscribe to the show. Visit us on the web at priority.fm. If you enjoyed the program today, please go to iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review, as that will help new listeners find the show. Also, if you're interested in getting updates or communicating with us via tweets, follow us on Twitter, where we are at PriorityFM. That's at P-R-I-O-R-I-T-Y-F-M. Thanks again for listening. I'm having prints made for Christmas. Uh, That time I got to say we're done. (laughs) (laughs) We better end. This is a beautiful, shining moment.